Well, how many are excited to be in church this morning? Let somebody give the Lord another big hand. Amen. He's a good God today, and we're just grateful for Him. Uh, one other thing we want to do, we want to welcome everybody that's watching online. Uh, we thank you for joining us online, and uh, let's give them a big hand as well. Amen. You may understand that Pastor Daniel is over in Vernon this morning. He's over there with Miss Victoria and their family, and he'll be ministering over there. Uh, for some of you, uh, you don't even know me, but uh, my name is Pastor Mark. I'm the executive pastor here, and most of the time I'm over in Vernon sharing uh, just the very same messages that you're hearing here, and God's doing great things in Vernon. We just want to let you know that he's doing that. Amen. Did the pastor tell you we got a piece of property over there? Did he not tell you that? Well, I'm so excited to tell you. We, we are going to be finalizing the purchase of 12 acres in Vernon. And can I tell you something about that? God provided every bit of the money to pay for it. And uh, we don't have to take out a mortgage or nothing. We're just going to write a check. Isn't that awesome? Give the Lord a hand. Amen. So that'll be exciting. We're excited to see, again, just where that goes. And the funny thing about it is we had a piece of property over there, a small piece of property. We sold to the school, and then on down the road, on that very same road, uh, across, the pro uh, across the road, we were able to buy 12 acres. So we had eight, a 0.8 acres. Now we have 12 acres. So God's doing some big things. Amen. He's a God of the more. Can you say that? Amen. He's a God of more. And so today we want to continue with our series uh, that we titled The Beatitudes. It's part six today, part six of the nine-part series called The Beatitudes. And we also know that this is based on Jesus' it's, it's Jesus' introduction. The Beatitudes are Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. And so each one of the Beatitudes begin with a word, and that word is blessed. It's blessed. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll realize that the Old Testament was a, uh, a covenant of blessing. It's covenant, it was a covenant of blessing. The funny thing about it, it was a blessing if you did certain things and then there were curses if you didn't do certain things. But we see the people that actually kept covenant with God. It's people like Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, they kept covenant with God. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis chapter 1. And then in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. How many know if Abraham was blessed to be a blessing, and we're blessed with the blessing of Abraham, then we're blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Tell him you're a blessing. And, and, and it's true. Amen. And now turn to the person on the other side and said, you are too. Go ahead. All right. So Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. We see this in scripture. Isaac was uh, blessed by God. Jacob was blessed by God with 12 sons. Uh, those 12 sons became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. We also see Joseph was blessed. We know Joseph, uh, we did our um, summer blast about Joseph for the kids. Uh, he had the coat of many colors and, and he was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him. But God used what Joseph went through to cause him to be a blessing to his own family. And so he kept his covenant with God to be a blessing. And then, of course, King David was uh, also one that kept covenant with God. So the truth is, 
And here's the truth. Everyone in the Old Testament that kept covenant with God received God's blessing. So in the Old Testament, you had to keep covenant to receive the blessing. The same is true in the New Testament. Actually, the word testament literally is the word covenant. So when you're reading the New Testament, you're reading the New Covenant. And the covenant's not necessarily a contract, but it is a covenant. And a covenant is when one person says, here's everything I'm bringing to the table. It belongs to you. And all I expect in return is that you bring everything you have to the table, and it belongs to me. And we cut covenant, or Jesus cut covenant, uh, when he shed his blood. And when he shed his blood and we accepted his sacrifice, we were brought into covenant with God Almighty so that everything that he is, everything that he has, everything that he can do belongs to us. But the same, everything we have, everything we can do, our entire life belongs to him. That's an important point to understand that we are in covenant with the most high God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. In such that when we make decisions in our life, we need to make those decisions from the aspect that I consider God when I make this decision. I put God first when I make this decision. This decision that I'm getting ready to make, the one that I'm making right now, am I putting God first? Am I giving him everything? Because if I'm giving him everything, I can expect that that blessing rests upon me. Of course, this word, um, Jesus, we know, came to institute the new, test, the new covenant. And in his first major sermon, which is this Sermon on the Mount, uh, he used this word blessed. The Greek word is makarios, makarios. And it means to be happy or to be envied, but it's not happiness based on circumstance. It's not happiness based on a happening. I was telling the, uh, the folks in the first service, my daughter, uh, Allison, uh, gave birth to a, a new baby boy. And how many know you're excited when somebody gives birth to a new baby boy, amen? Or a baby girl, I guess, too, right? I'm not, I'm not chauvinistic. I think new babies are awesome. But, uh, uh, but she gave birth to a new baby boy, and I'm so excited about that. But did, she gave birth, uh, I think it was in February, if you think I'd know, but uh, good, thank the Lord. <laughs> she gave birth in February, but in the November of the previous year, my other daughter, Ashley, gave birth too. She gave birth, she went full term with a baby and gave birth and he was stillborn. And so here's the thing, folks, I need to be happy when a baby's born and he's healthy, and I need to be happy when a baby's born and he's not alive. Now, you'll be happy to know my daughter Ashley is now pregnant again, and so we're excited about that, and she's going to deliver towards the fall. But here's the thing, folks. Our happiness is not based on our circumstance. Our being blessed by God is not based on our circumstances. We are blessed because we are in covenant with him. And so it's an inward security. I have this inward security because I know who I am. I've been created by an almighty God to serve an almighty God. Amen. I have purpose. I know who I am. I have this inward security. 
Uh, This happiness is an attitude of joy, again, regardless of circumstances. It's an inward satisfaction. It's a fulfillment. It's a contentment. Paul said it this way, I've learned to be content. He learned to be content. So we have to learn about that. That's why Jesus is teaching on it, right? Because he wants us to know where we stand. We are blessed by God and we can be content. And so Matthew, this book of Matthew, was written to the children of Israel, actually. And uh, we, we, we glean from it. This, but he's preaching to Jews, right? He's preaching to Jews. And Jesus was telling them that if they walked under this kind of divine, uh, they would walk under this kind of divine blessing, this happiness, if you will, they would walk in this when they focused on, paid attention to, and implemented these nine Beatitudes that we are going to complete in just about three weeks. It's really interesting that just as there are nine fruit of the Spirit, And there are nine gifts of the Spirit. These nine Beatitudes are literally attitudes that will keep us well-adjusted and on course, balanced as we do them in our life. It'll keep us balanced. What do I mean? Last week we talked about being merciful. Being merciful will keep you balanced in your life. God, God desires mercy over sacrifice. God desires mercy, that we show mercy to others. And we talked about that last week, and we said that when you're merciful towards other people, you're quick to forgive. And we're going to be talking about that today, as Hannah had mentioned. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 5, and if you have your notes, they're on the inside of your worship guide there. And in Matthew chapter 5, out of the NIV, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How many remember (laughs) Uh, Moses saw God, well, kind of. Remember, he said he wanted to see God, and so God walked and showed him his backside. Amen? How, how do you like that? So you can't see my face. Why? Because you can't handle it. You can't handle the glory, but, but if you'll cover your, you can see me as I walk by, and you can see as I go. And here's the, here's the deal. God wants us to see him, but it's not rele- relegated to just seeing him with these physical eyes, God wants us to see him in every aspect of our life. Again, we're in covenant with him. He wants us to consider him. Acknowledge me in all your ways, right? That's what the Bible says, that I'm to acknowledge him in all my ways. That's what he wants. He wants us to be able to see him, but we can't see him if we don't have a pure heart. And what's really funny about that is listen to this passage again. Blessed or blessed are the pure in heart. That's a present tense. Do you know what? We start there. How many remember the day you were born again? Anybody remember the day you accepted Christ? I remember the day I accepted Christ. I was eight years old in a Nazarene church in Muncie, Indiana. I was sitting on the second row right there, right smack dab in the middle, and the preacher was preaching. Now, at eight years old, you know, I had really committed a lot of sin. I think I hit both of my sisters at least once. Probably hid some of their Barbie dolls from them. You know, some real rugged stuff as an eight-year-old. But you know what? It doesn't matter because when you recognize sin in your life, the Bible tells us this. Paul said this. He said, when sin revived, I died. What is death? Death is separation from God. 
So when sin revived in my life, I recognized that I was separated from God. And that if I had died, I would have gone to hell. And that's what separation from God is. And so, the preacher's preaching, I accepted Christ. And I remember that day. I was talking to a lady in the first service. She said, I felt the same things you felt. I felt clean. I felt washed. I felt, I don't want to say, this sounds weird. Let me, let me say it this way. I felt transparent before God. Just transparent before him. He could say anything. I could hear anything. Eight years old. I was so excited. I was sobbing. Just water coming down out of my eyes, but all it was were tears of joy. Tears of joy. Why? Because my God, I'm now covenant with him. I'm in relationship with him. I didn't understand all about it. You don't have to know everything to be, be able to believe, do you? I didn't know everything, but I knew when God spoke to my heart as that preacher was preaching. And how many know God will use words of men to speak his word to you? If he can use a donkey, I'm almost sure he can use your wife. Or your mother-in-law. Come on, somebody. So um, Matthew 5, 8 in the New Living Translation, it says it this way, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. When you have a pure heart, you see God. And you look to see God in every situation. But here's the thing, is after we're born again, sometimes there's a tempter that comes. And when that tempter comes, he tempts us with all kinds of things. And, and, and the word pure here, uh, the word pure here, you can write that down in your notes, pure means clean. I was transparent, I was clean. It means unmixed or without desi- undesirable elements. It doesn't have undesirable elements in it. Just like when we talk about purifying gold, you're purifying that gold to get all the undesirable elements out of it. It also means spiritually clean because you have been purified by God. On the day you were born again, you were purified by God. How do we know that? Well, Psalm 51.10 says this. David said it this way. Create in me a clean heart, God. And renew a right spirit within me. Now, in, Old Test- in the Old Testament, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, didn't actually come in to live on the inside of them. They were anointed by God, but God didn't live on the inside of them. They, they uh, were accredited with righteousness towards what Jesus would do on the cross. So they received their salvation by credit. And so even their hearts were not necessarily, the Holy Spirit didn't live on the inside of them like he does you and me. And so he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. And this psalmist prayer was uh, was answered at the new birth. And it mirrored the Lord's promise that we find in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. In the King James Version, it says, God said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a pure heart. And so when you were born again, the day you were born again, I don't care if you were 8, 28, or 58, you got a new heart. Come on, somebody. 
You're not the same person. Jesus took your sin upon him. He took sin as a nature upon himself so that we would be made the righteousness of God through him. And you are not a sinner anymore. You are a saint because he separated you unto himself. Come on. I mean, you could dance around the room a little bit if you want to. Won't hurt, we won't, you won't hurt my feelings. I won't think you're crazy. All right? So listen to this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I actually want to uh, seek God's wisdom today and, and help him to help us unpack these truths so that we can be doers of the word. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we need your help today. We, we sing songs like, I need you. Every hour I need you. Yes, we do. We need you every moment, God. And today we need you in the power of your Holy Spirit to illuminate our eyes, to help us to see the truth of your word so that we're not hearers only, but we become doers in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So blessed are the pure in heart. In Ephesians chapter two, we find God who is at work in you. Here's what the scripture says in, in Ephesians 2.13. It's not in your notes, so don't worry about it. Uh, uh, in Ephesians 2.13 is where we find God who says, he is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. I want you to say it with me. Say, God's working in me. See, do you believe that, that God's working in you? God's never stopped working in you. You know, if you're having trouble with the enemy right now, it's because you're a child of God. Because he doesn't give you trouble unless you're a child of God. And so that's a, if you're being tempted, if you're being tried by the enemy, you know that you're in the right spot. Amen? And so he's trying to get you off your course. But listen, blessed are those who are pure in heart, and then God is at work within you to give you the will and the power, a pure heart, to achieve his purpose. Well, what, was, what does that look like? Well, if you go on down to Philippians 2.15, that's in your notes. It says that you may be blameless and innocent. God's working within you. That you would be blameless and innocent. When did that happen? Again, that happened at the new birth. That you would be children of God. How do we know we're children of God? We have a witness of the Spirit on the inside of us, according to Romans 8. We have a witness that we're His children. Children of God, without blemish. What does it mean to be without blemish? That word, uh, without blemish, is unmixed. We're pure. So we're blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. How many believe we live in a twisted generation? I mean, I'm going to say this. If they lived in a twisted generation, man, we live in a twisted generation. And so he said this, you're pure. Living in this crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can I say this? Uh, he's talking about us both individually, but also as a church. He's talking about we are all the children of God, the corporate church universally, but also the local church. 
This local church needs to shine as a lighthouse. I remember when I was uh, in junior high, last, I think it was in eighth grade, ninth grade, I, I went to a church that was, uh, the name of the church was Lighthouse Tabernacle Assembly of God. And they always sang the song about the lighthouse. There it is. No, that's the river. But it went like that kind of, didn't it? Something. You know it, don't you, brother? Do you want to stand up and sing it? Okay. <clears throat> I don't either. <laughs> but there was a song about a lighthouse, and they used to sing that song all the time. Why? Because we're supposed to be a lighthouse. God's called us to be a light in this crooked and perverse generation. Well, what is a crooked and perverse generation? Well, it's a generation with jagged edges, just like an ocean that has rocks and, and different things out there. And here comes that, that ship. And what, does, what happens? That lighthouse, with all of its many faceted prisms and pieces of glass, there's, a, there's an element that sits right in the middle of a pool of mercury. And then it spins, and it hits all, those all that glass and reflects out as much as 20 miles out, you can see the reflection of that beam as it comes around. And it comes around at the same time each time. It's consistent. Its light is consistent. And you know what? That's what God wants out of us. He's working within us to make sure we're consistent. How many are consistent believers in here? I believe we want to be consistent. How many know Jesus is consistent? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That used to be one of my confessions. I used to say, if you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, I want to be the same. I want to have the same attitude towards you. I want to have the same attitude of love towards people. I want to be the same yesterday, today, and forever so that when someone sees me, they don't get uh, me on a moody day. Oh, watch out for him. He's in a mood. You don't know anybody like that, do you? We don't want to be that person where someone has to decide whether they can come and spend time with us or not based on our mood. We want to be consistent. And so we begin at this place of purity. When we're born again, again, we're transparent, we're clean. We begin at this place of purity. But we must do what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22. What did Paul tell Timothy? Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. And so you start at that place of purity. Your spirit man's pure. But how many know we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in this body. And this body is still subject to sin, this, this sinful nature of this world, right? Still subject to that, this body is. Our spirit man's pure, recreated in Christ Jesus, but it's our mind that needs to be renewed to the word of God. And what I, what I always say is your flesh, your true flesh, is your body and your unrenewed portion of your mind. If you won't renew your mind you're in a particular area, it will always side in your, with your flesh. And so like in this area of eating too much ice cream, see... In that area of eating too much ice cream, I have not renewed my mind. And if it's available, I'm going to eat it. That's a sad thing, isn't it? That's a sad indictment. Some of you are like that with coffee. Some of you are like that with your favorite soda. Is anybody here? Wouldn't it be great? Why didn't God make us want to crave water? <laughs> I don't understand. I crave water. No, you don't. <laughs> 
You have to force yourself to drink water. But man, if it's a Diet Coke or a whatever, come on. I'm trying to keep it clean in here. You have to keep yourself pure. With all the temptation in the world, we must keep our heart unmixed and free from sin. But of course, the devil comes to seduce us, right? He comes to seduce us with undesirable elements to create impurities in your heart and mind. He's trying to create impurities. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 in the message. Let me read that to you. You have it in your, in your notes. It says, you're blessed. Listen to this. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart, put right. Well, our spirit man was put right in Christ. But we're, trying, we're endeavoring to save our soul with the word. And when I say soul, I mean your mind, your will, and your emotions. You're saving your mind with God's word or renewing your mind. Paul said that in um, Romans chapter 12. And so you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in your outside world. So how do we sustain a pure heart? I want to give you three things to do to sustain your heart, okay? And we're going to kind of delve into these and kind of get, we'll see how far we get, okay? Let's do that. Uh, we're, we're going to discuss these ways uh, to align your inside world. And so I would say this, number one, if you want to stay pure, you have to be quick to believe. Quick to believe. The first of these undesirable elements the devil tries to seduce you with, he wants to mix into your heart doubt, fear, doubt, fear, and unbelief. Doubt, fear, and unbelief. He wants you to let go of your hold. See, trusting God is a hold. If I trust him, I'm holding on to him. I trust him. And he wants you to let go of that hold of your trust in God. He wants you to let go of that. And so he tries to bring doubt, fear, and unbelief. He wants to create within you a doubt for God. And why? Well, he knows that God has given you thousands of great and precious promises. Your promise, is still, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your promise still stands. What promise? One of a thousand of them still stand. Because God is true and every man's a liar. God never changes. So if he made a promise to you, he made it and it is consistent. It's always a promise. He's faithful. Right? And so these, he wants you to doubt that though. And doubt is the only thing that actually keeps you from receiving his promises. Either doubt or you just didn't ask. Sometimes those promises are conditional promises. Amen? He gave Jesus Christ to the world, right? Did he give Jesus Christ to the world? And what, how does the world receive him? They still have to, they have to take a step. It's a gift that's been given, but you have to take a step to receive it. Many are the promises of God just like this, that he promises, but you have to step up to receive it. See, we're in a world where skepticism, listen to me, skepticism, even cynicism, is considered to be intelligent. 
You're intelligent when you question. When you question things. And that's, what the, that's the way the world is. You've got to question this and question that and question everything. You know what? With God, you have to believe whether you understand it or not. You believe it whether you understand. Well, that doesn't seem right. Well, when you know his will, you can believe his will. But you don't have to understand all of his will. How many, um, we used to say it this way. I don't know. You, there's probably other examples now. But um, I, I watch TV. Anybody watch TV? Thank you, sir. The one lonely man back there watches TV. We watch TV. Does anybody really understand how that TV works? Some, there may be people in here that have that engineering mind that may understand how TVs work. Can I tell you, I do not understand how a TV works, but I benefit from it or not. <laughs> but you understand, same with a computer. I have no clue. They told me it's ones and zeros. I don't even know what that means. But it doesn't keep me from using a computer and not understanding everything about God or everything about his word does not keep me from believing him. He'll show me in time. I'll see things. But the Bible says on this side, we know, uh, we see through a glass darkly. We're not going to know everything on this side. That's, that's why it's called faith. We don't know everything on this side. So we trust. And he wants you to release that hold of trust you have in God. But can I say this? That not having full understanding is not a reason to doubt God. Because when God speaks, listen, whenever he speaks, what he speaks is true. Why? Because God is true. And every man's a liar. See, there were two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. You guys probably remember this story. It was just after the crucifixion of Jesus. Two of Jesus' disciples, they were his disciples, walking on the road to Emmaus. The day after he was crucified. And listen, they were down and dejected. Discouraged and defeated because they just saw the man they thought would be the Messiah that had come to uh, redeem them die and be buried. So they were down and dejected. They were not only down and dejected, they were discouraged and defeated. And how many know, anybody ever felt that way before? Down and dejected, discouraged and defeated? Does anybody? Thank you very much, my friend. Gosh, yes, this means yes, this means no. Yeah, okay. I get in trouble for asking all these questions, but I want to know. I want to know you're with me. And so I felt down and dejected, defeated. And you know what that attitude lends to? It's an open door to doubt and unbelief. It's an open door to doubt and unbelief. That's why the devil wants, wants you to go through those kinds of situations. Well, here's these guys. They're walking on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus, and they're down and dejected. They're defeated. And suddenly, there's a guy walking with them. You know what? It was almost they were so down, they didn't even know that he showed up. And so they're walking down the road with this guy, and they look up, and they don't even recognize who this guy is. They're just walking along with this guy. And, and they say to this guy, hey, have you heard what's happened in Jerusalem? Well, how many know Jesus kind of knew what happened in Jerusalem? 
But he kind of prodded him. He said, tell me. Tell me what happened in Jerusalem. Well, they, they killed Jesus. They crucified him. They buried him. We thought he was the Messiah, but evidently he's not. And everything is over. It's over. What did Jesus say to them in Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24, verse 25. You can find that whole story in Luke 24. But in verse 25, he said to them, the disciples, oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. See, what did they do? They believed the circumstance over the word of God. They believed the circumstance. And how many times do we do that? How many times do we do that? We believe the circumstance. The circumstance speaks louder in, in our circumstances and we get down about our circumstances and we get dejected about our circumstances and there's an enemy that comes and whispers to you, you can't trust God. You can't trust him. Look what happened. He said this, but I've known many people that have died. I mean, you know, everybody's going to die. You know what I mean? Some people died and didn't have to. Come on. It's a fact. But here's the thing. You can't look at circumstances. You can't base your life on, well, my, and my Aunt Susie, it didn't work for her, so it probably doesn't work. Well, that's a small sample size. Because <laughs> see, I've been overseas. In ministry, I've had opportunities to go overseas many, many times to many, many places. Africa, I've been to India. These are the places where you can see the miraculous happen just like that. I mean, all you have to do, you, you can meet somebody who's never heard the name of Jesus and you can say to them, Jesus wants you free from that. And they'll say, he does? And you say, yes, he does. Can I pray with you? Well, sure. If he wants it, and all of a sudden you'll see them, they'll just get healed. It's easy to get people healed in some of those situations. And a lot of the reasons, because they're so used to the supernatural, because they're used to the devil's supernatural stuff. But over here, we're intellectual. And you got to explain it to me. And until I can see it, I'm going to be like a guy called Doubting Thomas. Y'all remember Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails and the place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never. You know what the I will never in the Greek says? It says it this way. It meant I will never, not now, not ever, no way will I ever believe. So what do we say? If God wants to do it, he'll do it. And if he does it, I'll believe it. Well, he already did it. Why don't you believe it? Why don't I believe it? He already did it. But what did he do? He appeased, or not really appeased, because God's not in no appeasement. But he came to uh, Thomas and he said, Thomas, here's my hand. Thrust your hand into my side. And then what did he say to Thomas? He said, blessed are you be, uh, uh, um, because you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen 
and believe. You don't have to see it all. You just have to see God. And it's the pure that see God. And it's the pure that believe God. And we're believers. Say, I'm a believer. Not a doubter. Because the doubters are damned already. That's what Jesus said. I'm a believer. So the Greek word, I will never, ever, 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 ever believe until I see. But how many know that our purity is lost when it's mixed with that kind of doubt, fear, and unbelief? Did you know the writer of Hebrews even called that type of unbelief evil? He called it evil. Who's the author of evil? Satan's the author of evil. In Hebrews 3.12, he said, take care, brothers. If he's talking to brothers, who's he talking to? Christians. So we can say it this way. Take care, Christians. Be mindful, Christians. Pay attention, Christians. Lest there be in any of you the evil or an evil, unbelieving heart. See, unbelief is evil. Why is it evil? It's because we're saying to God, we don't trust you. That's why it's evil. The next way to sustain a pure heart. How many are so excited you came to church right now? Come on. This is a good place to be. They don't tell you this stuff down at the restaurant. The next way to sustain a pure heart is to be quick to forgive. I'm going to kind of move through this. Um, I want to tell you a true story about a cow. (laughs) We're in Texas. Well, this didn't happen in Texas. This happened over in, in, uh, actually, in Great Britain. And it was on a hillside. There was a mountain, kind of a mountain. They don't really have mountains there, but it was kind of a mountain stream or a hillside stream that fed a village down at the bottom, down, downstream, water that was their drinking water. Well, this cow kind of wandered up into these hills and got caught in that stream and died. And so the cow's in the stream. He's dead. So what do cows do when they die? They decompose. And as he decomposed... The elements of that decomposition flowed down into the drinking water, and people started getting sick. They started getting sick, and everybody was just concerned about it. So what happened? Well, the authorities said, well, we got to take care of these people. We need to invent a vaccination. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Uh, um, (laughs) We got to give them something to make them well, because there's something wrong with the people. And then somebody else said, no, wait a minute, it's the water. We need to create something to purify that water. So they started working on something to try to purify the water when later on some guy walked up there and and said, no, we need to find what's the source of this problem. Walked up there, found the cow, pulled the cow out. And amazingly, God had designed that uh, rocks and sand that were in that stream to purify itself. And once it got all purified, they were able to drink the water again. And nobody got sick. See, that's what doubt is like. That's what unforgiveness is like as well. They needed to remove that cow's carcass. What we can see about our heart in this story is that when we allow or or tolerate, listen, when we tolerate ill will towards another person or we take an insult personally or we harbor a hurt or jealousy towards someone, it is like a dead cow in the stream that flows from my heart. Solomon said this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. All the issues of life flow from your heart. So if you've got 
impurities in your heart and everything flows from your heart, everything that it flows to is going to be impure. And that's what it means to forgive. So when we receive Christ Jesus, listen to me, when you receive Christ Jesus, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes and makes his abode on the inside of you. And in, in Romans 4, 4, it says that the love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. The love of God was shed abroad. How many know that when you're born again, when you're a child of God, God's love is in you. You're not trying to get it in you. It's already in you. So what do you do with it? How many, I mean, I've got, we've got a bunch of cans of vegetables in our pantry, right? But they're not helping us, are they? Why? Because they're cans in the pantry. What do you got to do to get that can in the pantry to help you? You got to open that thing. And you got to put them in. I don't know how you eat yours. I don't eat them out of the can. We heat them up and eat them. And then all of a sudden they help us out, right? It's the same thing. You've got the love of God on the inside of you, but I think it's trapped in a can somewhere. Because if we're consistently being unforgiving and harboring unforgiveness towards other people, we're not letting the love of God that's in our heart do the work that God is in us trying to do. And so, and then what happens is we're not able to forgive quickly. Why? Because we ruminate, we meditate on, on, on the problem and it makes us matter and matter and matter. And then what do we do? We start devising a plan. When I see this person, here's what I'm going to say to them. You ever done that? We've all done it. We've all done it. We've all devised this plan. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and this is going to put them in their place. And that's not what God wants. See, we're rehearsing in our mind what we're going to tell them, and it starts to poison our stream. And as we do that, we are knowingly or sometimes unknowingly allowing something that happened or a circumstance to harden our heart and we move out from under God's blessing. Even though God's trying to bless us, we move out from underneath it. And so Matthew 19, 8 says this. He said to them, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, what is a hardness of heart? It's a buildup. It's an accumulation. It's keeping score. They wronged me. They wronged me. They wronged me. I don't even want to see their face. Don't come at me. But that buildness, that those problems and issues, we've left them unattended and they create hardness of heart. That happens in marriages. Doesn't it? But it also happens in households. Parents to children, children to parents. We get a hardness of heart towards someone because we didn't get our way or they treated us the way. We didn't understand it. <laughs> All my friends had a new car and I didn't have a new car. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying? People get the wildest things in their head that they think they deserve. And then they begin to accumulate those thoughts and it builds that hardness of heart. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down 
on your wrath. What does he mean? To be diligent, to keep a pure heart, that diligence requires you to forgive daily. And this is where everybody shouts hallelujah and runs around the room. Right? Oh, yeah, let's shout hallelujah and run around the room. Why don't you preach on how good God is and when we're going to go to heaven? I'll shout around. Well, folks, it's going to be a hard road to heaven. I'm not saying you're not going to make it. It's just going to be difficult if you're going to continue to, if we're going to continue, any one of us continues to walk in unforgiveness. It's a hard road to heaven. You don't live in blessing on the earth and God wants to bless you. He wants you to, he said this, I want heaven on earth for you as a believer. He wants that for you. And so Proverbs 4.23, we've already quoted it, but let me share this with you out of um, the English Standard Version. It's in your notes. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. What is vigilance? Vigilance is keeping careful watch for possible dangers or difficulties. So I'm going to keep my heart keeping watch for all possible dangers or difficulties. Why? Because all the springs of life flow from my heart. So I'm going to keep a guard over it. Well, what kind of dangers and difficulties? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And I'm going to go through this real slowly. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. How many know what wrath is? <laughs> wrath is extreme anger. So it's like Paul's writing to him. He goes, let bitterness, let extreme anger. We'll just let any anger. You know what I'm saying? Don't, it doesn't have to even be extreme, just any kind of anger. And clamor and slander. You know what clamor and slander is? Shouting and name calling. Shouting and name calling. How many of you have ever gotten an argument with somebody and you were at your end and you didn't know what else to say, so you just started calling them names? Huh? You just started calling them names because you have no defense. You have no points. You're, you're, you don't know what else to say. You can't defeat them. And a lot of times, the name caller is the one who is at fault. And if they're both calling names, they're both at fault. Man, this is better than your amen. <laughs> Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you. That's what he said. Here's how you stay pure. Put that stuff away. Get rid of it along with all malice. You know what malice is? Malice is a desire to do evil, a desire of harboring ill will towards another. Put that malice away too. And do what? Be kind. Be kind. Do you know the phraseology in be kind is the same phraseology as let there be light? When God said let there be light, there was the ability for light to be. When God's telling you to be kind, the ability for you to be kind is resident within you because he put it in you when you were born again. And he couldn't ask you to be kind if you couldn't be kind. He would be unjust to do that. And so he said be kind to one another. Be tender hearting tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why is it so important to forgive others? Because your purity of heart helps you to remain merciful. That's why it's important. You remain merciful. You remain merciful. James 1.19, remember this. My dear brothers and sisters, again, to Christians, 
Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and should not get angry easily. So what is he saying? Have big ears. Have big ears. And only listen for the good things. Listen to really what people are saying. You know, people say things, and then there's what they're trying to say. And a lot of times, we just snap off at the thing they said when we're not really trying to listen to what they're really saying. And if we'll just, just bite our tongue just a minute, you don't have to say everything you think. Do you? No. Then finally, as important as the other two, we need to be quick to repent. Quick to repent. When I sin, not if I sin, but when I sin, come on, not if I sin, but when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness so that my heart remains pure. Do you know what the Bible says in the Acts of the Apostles? In time, when we, uh, times were refreshing come from the presence of the Lord when we repent. When we repent. Times of refreshing. So what is he saying? I, I'm going to cleanse your heart. I'm going to put you back in a position of a pure heart, a clean heart. See, the Lord Jesus wrote, actually, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, you'll find several letters written by Jesus, the head of the church, to different messengers or angels of the churches, of the seven churches. One of them was the church of Thyatira. And the word, messenger, the word angel there is the word messenger. And most people really believe that it, doesn't, it shouldn't be translated angel. It should be translated pastor. Pastor. And so I gave, uh, he, he wrote this to the pastor of the church of Thyatira. And he's talking about Jezebel, who that pastor did not confront when she was seducing members of the church. See, there's people that are going to come in unawares, wolves in, in sheep's clothing, and they're going to come in and they're going to try to, to, to tear up the church. And it's a Jezebel spirit. And he said here, he said, I gave her time to repent. Jesus said this of Jezebel. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'm going to throw her on a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Listen to me. Being a pastor of a church is a hard job. You know why? Because you're looking out for the sheep. And when you see that wolf in sheep's clothing come in, you want to say, look, we're going to confront this. That's the one thing. I'm, I'm going to say this about Pastor Daniel. That's one thing I appreciate about, appreciate about him probably the most. He confronts things. I pastored for many, many years. And sometimes I didn't confront things just because of who it was who was causing the problem. And because the amount of the mortgage and the amount of their monthly check. Can I be open and honest with you? I mean, the mortgage was high and they were writing a big check. And if I confront them, I thought sometimes if I confront them, they're going to leave with their big check and we're still going to have that mortgage. Folks, that's terrible. 
I'm confessing that before you. That, ha- that, that is the pull. Do you know why he doesn't have to do that? We don't have a mortgage. <laughs> and God provides all of our needs. See, when, when I was in that situation, I was not trusting God. And see, to trust God is to confront situations when they arise. Immediately, be quick to confront them. Don't let them fester. Don't let them harbor. Get rid of it. Go talk to that person. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. Can I say that? Nobody's perfect. But we're endeavoring. We do have not, we have not one inkling of malice towards anyone. We like it when you show up. You ever have people walk in, you don't, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. You walked on the other side of the sidewalk. I'm gonna cross the road over here because they're coming down the sidewalk. I don't want to see them. No, we like it when each and every one of you walk through these doors, these doors. Why? Because you're trying. You're endeavoring to live a life of servitude to God, and that's awesome. So, Here's the things, folks. She refused to repent and God judged her. This is New, this is new Testament now. Well, we're going to have a judgment that we're going to stand before God as Christians. It's the great white throne judgment. We talked about it last week. We'll stand before our God for our works and all the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up and only thing will be left is, is what we did that produced gold, silver, and precious metals. And we'll receive a reward for those things. But what if you only have, and if you don't have, the Bible says, if you don't have any of those things, at least you'll have the foundation of your salvation. And you'll make it. But I'm telling you, there's a life to live after this life. And it's the life of eternity. And it's real. Heaven's real, God's real. This new earth that's coming is going to be real. And if we believe that, Because see, the devil wants you to say, now how can all that happen? I don't care how it happens. I'm just turning it on. I'm going to watch it happen. If you refuse to repent, can I say this? You have a blind spot. If we're refusing to repent, we have a blind spot. And it's generally because of our own sin. And also pride can be the the root of that blind spot. We don't think that we'll ever have to pay the consequence. But how many know sin pays wages? If you're an unbeliever, the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. You'll spend eternity in hell. That's a fact. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian and you continue to allow sin in your life, it'll pay wages too. And you won't live the type of life you could have lived as a Christian with the blessing of God on your life because you keep dabbling. We keep dabbling and petting. We used to call it petting that sin. Just pet that sin. Let's not do that anymore. Let's humble ourselves. Would you stand with me today? Let's humble ourselves and seek repentance. Why? Because... When we repent, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. We, he cleanses our heart. I've said a lot of things today. This has not been an easy, uh, an easy message. But can I say this? The Bible tells us to lift up holy hands without wrath 
and without doubting, without anger and without, lift them up, without anger and without doubting. And I'm asking you to do that today. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift up your hands without wrath and without doubting, without anger and without doubt. And just, if there's, I don't have to know, you don't have to come down here, but if there's situations in your life and you say, I need to repent of that or this, let the Lord bring it back to you and let him cleanse you. Confess your sin and he's faithful. We've sung about his faithfulness. We'll sing it again. He's faithful to forgive us, cleanse us. Father, we thank you. We just say to you today, we repent. We repent of the things that we're allowing to get in the way and causing us to have a mixed heart. A mixed heart, the heart that cannot see, we we can't see you. It keeps us from seeing what you want to do and what you are doing in our life. And many times we say, I don't see God, I don't hear God. Well, a lot of times, Lord, it's because we allow unconfessed sin to persist. And today we repent. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Refresh us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down. Prayer team to come down. If you need prayer today, let's say today you say, well, I'm not saved. I've not accepted Christ. Come down and, can, and, and get with one of these folks. They can lead you to the Lord. Amen. They can lead you into a, an a, a awesome relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything was created by him and for him. That's what the Bible says. Come down and be introduced to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you've never accepted him, I, I'm telling you, you will sense that cleansing in your heart. But also, if you have situations, if you have a need, if you need someone to agree with you, say you need, uh, uh, we had somebody in the first service uh, about a job. They wanted to pray about a job. Uh, uh, Some other situations that could happen. You might need healing in your physical body. You might need to repair a relationship with somebody. These folks can pray the prayer of agreement with you and touch heaven. Amen. Let me pray and we're going to close. As we close, come down for prayer and and we're going to sing out with this song. Father, I thank you again for the entrance of your word gives life. It gives us understanding. It develops us and causes us to be doers of the word. And this day, we will walk out of here as a doer of the word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.